Thanks to Sammy and Meredith this morning. Those songs were really just a paraphrase of our passage this morning. The whole book of Colossians, we pretty much sang well, the Cliff Notes version uh, this morning about uh, Christ is the center, Christ is the focus. In fact, there was a straight quote from uh, verse 1 that we're going to read uh, together. So let's stand as we read uh, God's Word uh, together. This is Colossians 3.1. Uh, to 17. This is the word of God for the people of God so that we would have his wisdom and look like Jesus. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As Christianity was moving from the old world to the new world, there was really a choice that had to be made as the missionaries came. Even as we think about how do we be a missionary church to our uh, our community. And thanks to all of you who helped uh, staff uh, the booth at the festival. It was hot. It was a little bit, you know, so many people. What do you say when people say something to you? What kind of comebacks should you have? So, you know, it was neat kind of rubbing uh, shoulders with our neighbors and trying to think about not just what we do in this room, but how do we talk about Jesus in everyday life. Literally, on the boulevard, where does Jesus fit? And there's different churches there, uh, different religions there, all kinds of tattoos and skin and weird hairdos, and all all kinds of interesting people uh, milling about. Well, when uh, the missionaries came to this uh, country, and really in this part of the world, Central and South America, We've always had to think about how do we relate to 
the old spirits that were here or the old religions that, that were here before us? What is our attitude towards them? What is our stance towards them? And that's always a struggle. If, do we come and say, everything you ever knew was totally wrong. Here's Jesus. Throw out everything you ever knew about truth and about family and about the world because every culture has its own myths and its own beliefs about who is God? Who am I? Where did we come from? Did we come from a rock? Did we come from an ape? Did we come from God? Where do we come from? All of these basic questions are answered in all of our uh, cultures and in our family stories. And so uh, fortunately or unfortunately, how you might think about it, is a lot of the uh, Catholic cathedrals were built on the sites of former pagan uh, worship sites. This happened even in Germany and in Europe is that when we came and said, the creator of heaven and earth is God the Father and his son Jesus Christ has come to earth, and there was always a showdown between the tree God and uh, the real God. In Egypt, there was a showdown, as we read in Genesis, between the river God and the sun God and the moon God with the real God, the God who made everything with the word of his mouth, and he made everything, and he said over it, very good, and he made us, his people, with the breath of his mouth and with his own hands. And so we're always having a conflict of stories. But what happened is, as they built these cathedrals on top of these former sacred sites, what happened? The church now had a basement. And the question is, are we going to clean out the basement? Or are we going to let people have the religion that they had and now introduce them and add to their pantheon of gods this figure called Jesus Christ. And in fact, in many of these places, you can visit the basement and there's very active worship going on in the basement. I'm telling you that story not to, so that we can look down on the Catholic Church, not so that we can look down on missionary activities of the past, but in fact, the book of Colossians asks us to do this very thing. And Paul was saying to those, these Colossians, you grew up hearing a lot of stories. You, you grew up worshiping a lot of different things. And now the real God has brought real redemption to you in Jesus. And so he's really asking them, what's in your basement? You're building from the ground up this new life in Jesus. But what is it, what's underground that you maybe haven't addressed or maybe you, you want to keep underground and have a part of your life? And so the Apostle Paul is inviting us to think about as we're being built up in Jesus... Are we dealing with what's in the basement? We're going to look at that in three ways. The first way that we begin to really look at is when we're new in Jesus, where does the old have to go? It means we have to be very clear and very focused on who Jesus is. As we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the light of his glorious face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glorious face. It means, what is our focus? We've been talking about that a few weeks in terms of when we're in pain, where's our focus? Well, it can be inward. When we look at others and see how well they're doing and how poorly the righteous are doing, we get really depressed and say, it's not worth following God. Again, God calls us back to a focus on him that lets us look inside of what's going on, quote-unquote, in the basement, so that we can begin to grow up unfettered with all this old stuff into the new person we're called to be. In Jesus. So the first step he lays out for us is, uh, is in verse 1, and I call this look up. 
as Sammy invited us to leave our distractions and try to forget them and look up to Jesus, that's the hardest thing because everything is so real to us all around us. And what seems very unreal to us is what is obviously invisible. Jesus is invisible. God's invisible. Uh, we have his words. We pray to him. We feel his presence. We receive joy as we sing together. But we have to be honest as we're living by faith and not by sight. And I'll be honest with you, that is tough. It's hard for pastors, it's hard for uh, preachers, it's hard for even seasoned older Christians because it's one step, one foot in front of the other living on the truth that God has given us and the truth that Jesus is for us. So it starts with this wonderful uh, logic. Um, Some of you are computer programmers, you might recognize this logic. If then, if equals true, you have been raised with Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you have been raised out of your sins. You are a resurrected person. You're like, well, I'm still in the same ugly body I was born in. Well, no. If you are in Jesus, it means you've been raised out of your sins. You are already living in a new world. You're already living in a new life. You already have a new king. You have a new purpose. You have a new future in Jesus. And so he's calling them to think about themselves, not where they were born or what culture they were born into or what neighborhood they were born into or what uh, athletic conference their college belongs to. Uh, They want them to think about, you've been raised with Jesus. He is victorious over death and over sin. He has brought you near to God. If that is true about you, and he's looking around for nodding of heads and people are going, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. He says, okay then, let's take that logic one step further. If then you've been raised with Christ... Where's, where's your viewfinder? Where is your gaze? One of my professors likes to talk about. Show me your gaze and I'll tell you something about you. Where your eyes are fixated. And mine's on the iPod a lot, so I have to really think about where's your gaze? You know, there's five people and a dog all around me, you know, needing my attention and needing my help and needing my love. Where, where's your gaze? And so that's what he's inviting them to think. If you've been raised with Jesus... Focus on Jesus. Look at him. And not just look at him like, what am I supposed to do when I'm looking at Jesus? Well, look where he is. He's above. So he's above everything. That means he's in a a position of authority and of glory. But what's important about that is next in verse 1. Seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is sitting. What does that mean? He's got nothing to do? No, seating, it shows two things that he has all authority to run the universe from God. That's earlier in uh, chapter 1. Everything was made through him. Everything holds together like we just sang. Everything was made in you, Jesus. He's the hub of the universe. He's the center point that holds everything together. So he's seated at the right hand of God with authority. You know the other reason why he's seated? As he was on the cross dying for our sins, what did he say? It is finished. His work that brings us to God, his work that that made him triumphant over sin and death is done. How do we know it was done? How do we know it was worthy? On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. Death couldn't hold him. Satan couldn't hold him. God raised him from the dead and said, see, he is the punchline of the universe. See, he has overcome death. See, he has overcome the devil. See, he has overcome your sins. Look at him. Follow him. Belong to him. So he's sitting there with all authority. He's sitting there having finished the work that brought us to God. So what does that mean for us? 
Our busyness for God can never make us right with God. Because see, He's already done it. And we are not, as uh, Rick Warren says in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, this isn't all about you. Jesus has done all this work. Jesus is all this glory, and Jesus is the Savior. And so we have to begin to think about looking at Him. And then look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In modern terms, we could think about this as the witness protection program. You would be so dumb if you were in the witness protection program because you ratted out like one of your gang buddies or a drug dealer. If you went on Facebook and on Facebook places with your name and said, hey, want to meet up with me at Starbucks under your old name? What would happen to you? You would be dead in a second. Nobody in their right mind would ever do that. This is exactly what Paul's saying. Your old self is a dead man. That name that you lived under, that, that life you lived for yourself and for your fears and for false gods and for your false idols, that dude, that girl is dead. Your new self is now hidden with Jesus. You have a new name. Over your name is now written. Belongs to Jesus. So he says, all of your status updates, all of your identity, everything needs to be thought of as this new person who once died and now is alive in a new world that Jesus has opened up to you. Jesus is hiding you and protecting you in his witness protection program. You bear his name and you have his life. That's what it means here is your life is hidden with Christ and God. Your life isn't your own anymore because Jesus has commandeered it and saved it and brought it to him so that he can, to get in fellowship with you, show the whole world how good God is and what he does for sinners. That's who you are if you're in Jesus this morning. And if you aren't believing in Jesus this morning, this is what you need, is to be able to be given the freedom as a gift from God to walk away from your old ways. Those things that shame you and have defined you, those that desire to be something and make something of yourself and to have the focus be on you, the greatest gift you can receive is to have that taken away from you. That every eye doesn't have to be on you. All praise doesn't have to flow to you. All of the shame has to be borne on your shoulders. All your pride has to be protected. It is such a gift to be able to let that go because God calls that slavery. He wants you to be free. So this morning, that is open to you by faith in Jesus. And we're going to see that a little more as we look to this next point. Since our life is in Jesus, since our new life is now guarded and given to us as a gift from Jesus, our, our gaze... Our focus must be on Him. Because that's where the joy is. That's where the power is. That's where our dignity and our hope comes. And he points future in verse 4. Because you will also appear with Him in glory. Jesus has died for our past. Jesus now stands up for us in the present. And Jesus holds a future for us that is glorious. And that should change and is supposed to change as we see through the rest of the passage how we think about everything. If this is true, it changes everything. Well, let's look at uh, the second point, look out. It says, if this is true, if we're a new self, and the old self, if you're in the witness protection program, what do you have to do? Box up the old family pictures, your letterman jacket with your old name on, your, on the back. You put it in a box, 
and you have to put it away. But as you're living your new life, what do you start doing? You start fantasizing about, man, I looked really good in that Letterman jacket. What would happen if you're caught wearing that Letterman jacket at the mall? You're dead, right? So you're like, okay, I can't do that. I can't, uh, no. I love that. That was a, a thing of pride for me. I can't go back to that. And that's, that's what Paul wants us to think about this as we think about the old stuff in our life that Jesus has delivered us from is it's got to stay in the box. We've got to duct tape it. We've got to say, this is old junk. In fact, we don't need to keep it around. It says we need to throw it, throw it out. The New Testament way it says is put to death. It means throw in the trash. Don't keep it in mom's attic so you can pull it out and look at it and go, Ooh, yeah, I remember these pictures. Oh, yeah, I remember these magazines. Oh, I remember these memories. Oh, I remember these addictions I had. Oh, I remember these, this pride I used to be all about. We duct tape it, go out on a boat in the middle of the ocean, tie a big rock around it, and chuck it. That's almost what he's saying. He's like, all this is old, so where does old stuff go? The dump, it gets thrown away. And then he goes through this list, whatever is earthly in you, meaning what is so natural that anybody who's ever been born apart from the grace of God wakes up and thinks about all day. Sexual stuff, impure stuff, evil desires, envying. And it's all under this heading of verse 5, idolatry. Treating other stuff and other people and other things and other experiences as if they are equally or more glorious than God. It doesn't have to be Buddha. It doesn't have to be Vishnu. It doesn't have to be Brad Pitt. It doesn't have to be Angelina Jolie. In your mind, whatever you love and makes you salivate in your heart, that's an idol for you. He says, all that stuff is old. Throw it out actively every day, not just, yeah, I went to camp and I became a Christian and so I burned my, you know, Britney Spears CD or whatever, you know, whatever the nasty thing was for you. Um, I'm just pulling that out of, I was a youth pastor back in the day, so we were always thinking about, what do you need to go home and burn and so, weird stuff like that after retreats, so. But it's whatever it is, even good stuff uh, that's being used wrongly is old. In fact, he says, on account of these the wrath of God is coming. This stuff is like burn-worthy. We're not saying physically burn it, but it's, this stuff is under God's judgment. And so we shouldn't pet it and stroke it and polish it and keep it and build a little shelf for it. None of this is proper for those who belong to Jesus Christ, who are new people in him. The old junk has to go away. When we were first married, I had this shirt. It was a really good shirt because it lasted 10 years. Uh, it was a really nice rugby shirt. I looked really nice in it. But I had gotten it from an old girlfriend. So obviously, this was probably a bone of contention. Uh, we're very secure in our marriage. But just something about this shirt, just, you know, it wasn't cool for some reason. I really couldn't understand. But uh, slowly, I began to understand this isn't just a shirt. This has connections to an old, an old love, right? And so that even these good things that we have in our lives, they can become like an old love. And what they say is three is a crowd. Because we are married to Jesus in the sense that we belong to him, his name is on us. Like people get married, the woman usually takes the man's name to show 
I'm not daddy's girl anymore. I belong to him. We are one flesh. We are one unit. We're building a family together. And so we have to think about ourselves. Actually, literally almost ask God, God, would you walk through my closet? God, would you walk through my mind? Would you walk through my heart? And point out the stuff from my old girlfriends that you want me to throw out. The old loves that are keeping me just out of the corner of my eye thinking about other things except, except you. And that's scary because these things have given us a sense of energy and power and joy and God wants to pull them away because they are not part of who we are now. Verse 7, you used to walk this way, but now you don't live in them anymore. They don't fit you anymore. They're not your style anymore now that you belong to Jesus. You must put them all away. And then he goes into the second uh, list that isn't so much bodily as much attitudes and then talking. Verse 8, anger. Wrath, malice, such as like, ah, ah, you know, you're planning like, I want to pound him or, or uh, slash his tires, or, you know, things like that. And then slander, obscene talk, and lying, this, this other threesome here is you want to destroy people with your words and you want to shade the truth. He says, man, that doesn't fit. We now belong to the one who said of himself, I am the way, the truth, in the life. And so lies don't have a place. Slander doesn't have a place. Because you know what slander is? Confessing other people's sins for them out loud to other people. Oh, he is just a, you know, fill in the blank. You're confessing their sins, but you are not seeing them in the light of forgiveness. You're not loving them. You're hating them. He says, that's old stuff. Put it away. Don't lie to one another because you've put on a new self. And this is the third thing I want us to look at from here is look around. And he does something very interesting. He uses language that isn't just about come to Jesus and have your own personal makeover, moral, spiritual, attitude, all as much as God wants to do all that. He does something really weird here. Because he, he talks about this new self, but then he talks about Look in verse 11. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. This new self is actually a group of people. A group of people that are uh, ethnically diverse. A group of people that are uh, politically diverse. A group of people that have different backgrounds. Even former enemies And some of these in this list were literally the barbarians of their day saying, oh no, imagine someone in your hated people group walking through that door because we had invited them at the festival. Dude, why did you give them an invite card? Why did you invite them to our church? Well, this is what God's doing. God is inviting all these people with all kinds of jacked up backgrounds and all kinds of weird beliefs and and weird practices, and he's bringing them and making them new people in Jesus. And literally, when they come through the door and they're professing their faith in Jesus, God is saying to them, meet your new brother and sister. And you're like, oh, no, that means I have to love them. Yeah, because if God can love them, you can love them. Why? Because God sees everything about us, everything broken, everything rotten, and He yet loves us and transforms us. And so what God intends to do is for us to look around and say, I'm transforming all of these people. And in fact, God in His genius, in His wisdom, 
in these next few verses starts to show us how do we grow up into our new selves? How do we start to fit in these new set of clothes, this new calling we have, this new identity we have in Jesus? If you're in the witness protection program, you have to learn to talk different and go to different stores and hang out with different friends. You have to relearn everything. And that's what God's saying to us this morning. It might feel like you have to relearn everything. How to talk, how to think, how to love, how to speak, how to spend your time, how to be married, how to wait for marriage, uh, for having sex. All these things have to change because Jesus has now changed you. Everything has to change. And that is so hard. And God knows it's so hard. You know what He invented? He invented the church where we together in our relationships begin to encourage each other in this new self. And this is what he starts talking about then in verse 12. This is the new stuff under your new name of Christian. He says you're chosen. God loves you and he picked you on purpose. He picked you to be holy and he picked you so he could pour out his love on you. So put on compassion, kindness, Humility. This is weird. The weirdest thing happens in the church. You believe in Jesus. You get, all your sins are forgiven. You get some real joy. You meet some new family. You meet some new friends. You're growing. And then your chest starts swelling. Hey, you might have heard of me. I'm one of those people called Christian. I used to do the stuff that you did. That is so lame. I can't believe you'd do that. You disgust me. Oh, if you knew what was good for you, you would come on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock and hang with us good people who used to do that stuff, but, oh, man, we are way past that now. So come hang with us, and then you really discover how to be really awesome, you know? Have you known anybody like that? I've been like that. So, uh, you know, I recognize that. The... The hardest thing for Christians is this humility thing. But guess what? This whole thing was a gift. This whole thing was God's idea. And if you think it was your idea, God says, think again. Read 1 Corinthians 1. Read Colossians 1. Read Ephesians 1. If you think you're in Jesus and you're in the church because you're so good, you got another thing coming. I don't say that in a mean way. I would say, discover the beauty of grace. It's not about you and you didn't figure this out on your own. And so he says, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint, this isn't just a hypothetical. The more we're with each other, we're going to annoy each other. So it says, it's not saying, if there is ever, and I expect it to be the rarest thing in the world, that you ever have a complaint against each other, just in case, I'm going to write this little clause in here so that you would know how to do it. It's actually assuming we're going to have complaints with each other. It says, when you have a complaint, this is what you do. You forgive each other. You love one another. You speak to each other. You don't freeze each other out. You don't flame each other on email. You don't block each other on Facebook. Uh, you start. You talk it out and you say, I think I was wrong in this too. Would you forgive me? Yeah, I, I was wrong too. Would you forgive me? He says, that's the most beautiful thing in the world is not no conflict. It's conflict that's handled and restored through love. And Christians should be leading the way in that instead of leading the way in uh, divisiveness. And put on love, which binds everything together. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called. And be thankful. Gosh, you look around your family, you look around 
maybe in this room, and maybe you're struggling to be thankful. I have to be thankful for them. I have to be thankful for this. Look at your life. Look at your circumstances. I have to be thankful for this. All of this stuff, whether it's good or it's bad, comes through the hands of your Father. And you might not like that. For Christians, life is harder because they know God's in control and they're trying to figure out, well, then why did this happen? This is lame. This doesn't belong to the abundant life that I thought you promised Christians. What's up with that? Well, we talked about that last week. Read Psalm 73 if you're wrestling with that attitude. But these last two verses as I close, I think is really a great way to look at what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks in Sunday school. I invite you to come as we talk about the disciplines of the Christian life, Bible reading and Bible study, prayer, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism, accountability and fellowship and uh, mercy ministry, all these things that grow our faith and grow us in our new identity. So there's just a few categories of things I want us to look at. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This means for us to really understand who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus. It means this word has to saturate us. We have to be dripping this stuff. We need to be Jesus-flavored people. And Christians have tended to be Jesus-spouting people, like verse machines, like, you know, just spinning out verses. It's more like a really good barbecue. We're supposed to be marinated in this stuff. A lot of people treat Christianity as you have your meat and then you throw it on the barbecue and then right before you serve it, you get some really nasty stuff from Safeway and go bloop, 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 bloop all over it and they're like, now it's barbecue. You know, you just, Christianity is not a sauce. That you have your flavor, you're just already cooked and you go doot, 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 Sunday. Ah, Christian flavored person. Oh, I went to a retreat. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Got a little Christian retreat smoky flavor from the camp, campfire flavor on, on, on your life. No, actually what it's saying here is we have to be soaked in this stuff so that when someone slices into our life and they go, hmm, that tastes a little like Jesus. Hmm, that person is talking with a wisdom that, I, that I've never seen in a bottle. This is really true to life. This is really transforming. And, and that's what it means is that this becomes a marinade in our life. And then, like I talked last week about, you're the worst counselor you listen to. You should fire yourself. I thought about that. I was like, man, that was pretty harsh. Um, what I really meant to say is this. You're always counseling people. You're either a bad counselor or a good counselor. Because you're always talking. You're always chatting with people, IMing, tweeting, Facebooking. You're telling people stuff. High five. Like, like button. You know, what we're supposed to be doing in each other's life is when stuff is coming out of us that looks like Jesus and is wise and is, is wholesome and holy, punch the like button. Man, that was so awesome when you prayed for me. Man, when I was discouraged and you, you spoke scripture to me, that was sweet. We need to be doing that with each other instead of just some of the weird, and I won't get on farm bill and all that kind of stuff because I don't, I don't understand it. But there is something that when we're in each other's lives, there should be awesome stuff coming out so that we go, I think I just got taught something. I think I just learned something. I think I just got encouraged by talking to this Christian. And, and the only way that that happens, because we're always counseling, is because we now have something to offer. It says admonish 
teaching in all wisdom. So this, this starts for us to assess ourselves. What, what kind of wisdom am I handing out? Is it godly wisdom or is it just, I heard it from Hallmark? Or, you know, it's a, is it really true and is it Christ-centered? And thankfully you're in a church that focuses on God's Word and believes it's already practical for real-life stuff. And so you're in a good place to be growing in these things. So it means you've got to grow in wisdom and there's no shortcut to that. It comes through Scripture and through prayer and listening to wise Christians. And the next part, I think we all love this, and our church does this well, is is singing with thankfulness in our hearts. You ever have that song stuck in your head during the week? You're like, I haven't heard that song in six years. Why is it? uh, I had this weird DC Talk song in my head the other day. I was like, where did that come from? I haven't heard DC Talk in like 20 years. So uh, where did that come from? Well, it's in there, right? So we begin to say what we sing to each other and what we sing about and what we hear... You know, basically, beauty gets a hold of us. It says, let's sing about beauty. Let's sing about what's true. Let's sing about Jesus. And I love our church because we don't just sing songs that say, I love you, I love you, I love you, because I love you, Jesus, 29 times. We're actually singing about what's lovable about God, what's so glorious about God, what's so good about God that he's a redeeming God. And the more we focus on God and we sing about how awesome he is, what happens? We start loving him. We start praising him. We actually find that our character is moving towards his. They were saying, well, yeah, but if these desires over here don't fit how awesome and beautiful and holy and pure God is. So it it begins to mess with our hearts and our desires. And you wouldn't think songs do that. But you can know the songs that you memorize with all kinds of junk in them. You're like, man, I wish I could shake that. I wish I could get that out of my head. We need to put new stuff in our our hearts and have that uh, control what we think. And then lastly, if looking around for Paul means looking around to the people who need wisdom, if looking around is looking around your life, seeing what needs to go, looking around our life in verse 17 means looking around all the parts and saying, I want every part of my life to say, glory be to God. So if it means I have to change habits, if I have to change some friends, if I have to change the way I live or the way I work, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And another way to say it is, would I want Jesus to put his name on this? If the name of Jesus would mess up my project, maybe it's a lame project. And if my project puts a bad light on the name of Jesus, maybe my project's a bad project. Maybe I need to give it up. Or at least ask God, God, could you clean it up? Could you redeem it so I do it for you? Do my job for you? Do my education for you? Do my parenting uh, for you? Not just so I look really good and my kids get in a good school, so that my kids look like Jesus and Jesus gets, gets the glory, right? So our life isn't about us. Our life isn't ours. And our life, <clears throat> if we are in Jesus, is a new life. And there's all kinds of grace and all kinds of help and all kinds of joy and all kinds of glory that comes when we say, God, let's take a walk through my basement, through my closet, through my mind, and say, help me to get over that stuff and onto the new stuff 
that you have died for to give me, and you have died to make me a new creation. Help me to put off all of these things. And together, we can walk each other to the curb as we dump this junk and walk forward to follow Jesus. And this is a group project. On days that it's hard, call a friend and say, I'm having a hard time leaving the junk because it's got a grip on me. Can you pray for me? Literally, maybe you need somebody to go over and help you throw away magazines or throw away stuff that, that's uh, captured your mind or help you block websites or get an accountability relationship. All of these things are steps where we can say, I want to be my new self. Would you help me? And God has put so much around you uh, to help you. And God gets the glory because he has died for this in Jesus and he now lives for us. Our life is with him. And so let's fix our gaze on him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that our old ways don't have to define us anymore. And our old loves, as much as we loved them and they loved us back, uh, those things are idolatry and, and slavery. And you want your people to be free. And you want your people to be new and, and to look like Jesus more and more in all the areas of our lives. Thank you that you've invented the church and thank you that you've brought this church into existence where we can love you, where we can hear of your goodness, where we can hear of even our badness, which is a great favor to us because part of our sin is that uh, we don't see right and we don't love the right things and we don't think rightly about uh, these things. And so we want you to uh, cleanse our minds and our hearts, uh, renew our thinking, renew our strength so that we can do battle with these old ways so that we can walk to the curb with this trash and leave it there and then walk freely forward as a body, as a new group of new people uh, towards our glorious future in Jesus. We can be walking in his steps, walking in his wisdom, speaking and singing his truth to each other. We thank you for being so wise. You're smarter than us and that is our greatest hope. And you're glorious, and you show us your glory, not in just the thunder on Mount Sinai, not just in the crash of waves, not in just the rumble of earthquakes, but you've shown your glory most clearly in Jesus, who was a servant, and he was a friend of sinners, and he was a sacrifice for our sins, and now he's a king of glory who is over everything and calls his people to himself. So we thank you for all this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.